Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Aisha Birsel here with me from New York. Welcome to my podcast, Aisha. Desna, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I'm so, so happy to, to meet you. And, uh, and this is also thanks to our mutual friend, uh, Gary Ridge, who connected us. Can I just give a little short intro for the people who uh, might not know of you? And I'll say this, that uh, Aisha Birsel is a designer and innovator who has designed hundreds of award-winning products and systems for Fortune 500 brands. Uh, she's known for bringing new solutions to old problems and for her humanistic design approach. Uh, she's also the author of Design the Life You Love and gives lectures on Design the Work You Love to Corporations. She's also the co-founder of Beersel Plus Sec, uh, the award-winning design and innovation studio, and consults to Amazon, Herman Miller, GE, IKEA, the Scam Foundation, Staples, Toyota, and many others. Her work can be found also in the permanent collection of the Museum of Modern Art, MoMA. So, Aisha, you are a blend of East and West, born and uh, raised in Izmir in Turkey. And, and now you call New York your home since uh, coming there on a Fulbright scholarship 20-something years ago. Um, so this blend, how, how do you think, how has it supported you and, and perhaps also challenged you over the years? Oh, I love that as your first question, Vesna. <laughs> you nailed it. I'm truly that combination and I identify with that. I think it served me very well as a designer because the combination of East and West being Turkish living in the States is really uh, allows me to see two sides of everything, which is a great quality, actually a superpower for designers, especially when those qualities are often in opposition to each other. So I feel like uh, growing up in Turkey gave me this sense of, on one hand, being very secular, like Turkey is a secular country, but it has become more and more religious. Um, so I've seen two sides of the coin. New York is a beautiful city. It's a world metropolis. Um, but sometimes it's quite ugly, dirty, and feels like not at all a global center at times. So these contrasts um, keep me really on my toes or the fact that, again, Turkey is one of the oldest civilizations, uh, you know, with Ottoman Empire and before that Greek and Italian um, civilizations uh, in the Aegean. So you have that on one side, but then you have also New York, which is really comparatively a new culture. So this is, I think, uh, this combination of East and West, modern and uh, historic, old and new, secular and religious, beautiful and ugly. This is like what I do every day in thinking about problem solving and how to bring opposites to come together and coexist. So I've personally also experienced a lot of these mixed perspectives and, and, and like glasses eventually that you, that you wear. 
I remember just recently when I was uh, visiting my home city where I was born in Belgrade in Serbia, and I was there standing in line for uh, in the post office to do something, and uh, they um, uh, shouted out my name, and I, and I was just like, you know, amazed that it sounded exactly as it should be, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and, those, and even if I feel almost like a tourist in my own you know city uh, somehow because I went away from there when I was like four so I don't remember much but when I still when I'm there I feel at home uh, nevertheless uh, for example a stupid thing like that when how somebody pronounces your name you know it makes you feel like oh I'm home <laughs> I hear you just like you saying my name perfectly yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and here in, in, in Italy they say Vesna, and then in Sweden they say Vesna, like too fast, and you know, it's like, it should be Vesna. But uh, anyway, those are the uh, beautiful details of our lives. Um, but design is in the center of your uh, universe. So, so let's start by asking two uh, basic questions. Like, what is design for? And uh, who is design for? You call that a basic question. That's like the one of the <laughs> most complex questions that a designer has to deal with. Because when I tell people I'm a designer, all these years I've practiced uh, as a designer, nobody knows what design is. A very simple answer is the way I learned about it when I was a kid. The, the thing that made me fall in love with design, so let me share that with you, is uh, I didn't know what industrial design or product design was. And a family friend came to tea and talked to me about design and industrial design. And he said, see this um, teacup, you know, your mother's teacup. Somebody has designed that. And I was like, really? What, what do you mean? And he said, you see how the edge is curved? It's so that you can hold, um, you know, the edge in your lips and it fits well and it has a handle so that you can hold hot liquid in your hands and not burn yourself. And then it has a saucer so that if you spill your tea, it doesn't ruin your mother's tablecloth. And that was my first understanding of design. And I fell in love with the human scale of product design. And that's what design is at the end of the day. It's really considering human needs and how you can solve it in the most elegant way possible. People often think design is just a superficial styling uh, need, but that's really the, the biggest mistake because design is physical, it's emotional, it's intellectual, and it's spiritual. And you try and connect and solve problems and um, make people's lives better through design on all those uh, quadrants, basically. And so you, you try and connect with your end user emotionally so that they feel they're loved, that somebody thought about them and tried to make their life better. You want to make sure that intellectually your solution is easy for them to understand and almost intuitive. Um, physically, you want it to be comfortable and uh, safe and not in danger or hurt them. And then spiritually, you also want to make a design that is humanistic and uh, honest and really um, thoughtful and considerate of people that honors them, um, their individuality. So to me, see, it's a long answer, <laughs> but that, that's design. And it's for people. 
and its design is all about improving people's lives by trying to understand what they need, what problems they're trying to solve, even better than they know it. And if you would have, you know, asked me uh, what is design for you, I'm thinking to design something means you have a you have a very deliberate intention. So if it's something is designed, it is really well thought through and well intended, and it's like all the energy and intention is into it, whatever it is. And I I did um, uh, some uh, time ago also a podcast with uh, a professor here in uh, Milan, and uh, he's working all over the world, but he's based also in Milan. And he is uh, working on on, um, designing uh, meaningful businesses. And uh, he he said something on on his website where he's um, introducing himself that just a couple few lines, I was thinking I could just read it for you and see how you respond to it. Everyone is a creator of uh, meaning. We create meaning through the humans we love, but we also create meaning through our everyday work. Each one of us through through our profession, managers, designers, scholars, artists, scientists, generates experiences that carry meaning to the life of people. We may bring happiness, relieve pain, open new opportunities. Beyond our own awareness, we have an impact on the life of others and through the vision we nurture and the new things we advance. And I think that's so beautiful because it's really that's about beautiful. this intention. You know, what do we, what we all do in our everyday work, has a much bigger, I think, impact than we than we know to understand. Actually, yes, that, that's really beautiful. And we'll probably talk about it. But I, one of my passions is um, teaching people how to design their lives, and it's really what you're saying: having the intention to improve uh, your own life. And through that, improve other people's lives is really a beautiful design for your life and for your work. So that really resonates with me. And you have also uh, a book that you've uh, written, Design the Life uh, You Love, with uh, steps uh, about how to reveal skills and wisdom and, and, and so on, so that anybody can understand how to design the life that they love. And it also hits me that, that, of course, we all try to be as aware of as possible about the totality of things and, and, and so on. But, but it's so easy to be busy and then not to have this very clear intention about how do, how do I want to design my life? Because the world around us doesn't really help us. <laughs> it has to be a very strong intention coming from the inside to do this. But how do you, how do you teach this? I mean, how do you, how do you do that? Actually, you mentioned you mentioned something interesting. I want to um, build on. Life does offer us moments where we can be really mindful about designing our life. These are thresholds in life that can happen naturally, or some catalyst event like the one that we're in now with the um, COVID nineteen really forces us to reconsider our values, what we're doing, and see if we can bring our values and what we're doing, the life that we're living together, and make it more coherent. And the the traditional thresholds, like I often work with people who are in their kind of midlife where they've done many great things, they have families, and their life kind of has designed itself. And then there comes a point where they realize, hold on one second, like 
my kids are leaving and um, I've done a lot of the things that I've wanted to do in my life, but what do I want to do now? And it's almost like taking that idea of a midlife crisis and turning it on its head and using it as an opportunity to redesign your life. And this happens in your 20s as you leave your you know, parents' home and become a young adult. Um, it happens when you start a family. It happens in midlife as uh, you're maybe achieving some of the things you want to, to do, but now questioning, like, is this it? You know, what else can I do with my life? It happens around retirement. So th those are moments where it ha you have almost an internal need of um, thinking about your life. And th those are great moments for, for designing your life. And the methodology that I um, offer is really, it comes some, from something that I did intuitively, I've always thought that our life is our biggest design project. I don't know why. It just has all the qualities of a design project, uh, lots of constraints and that you need to, to manage. But that when you have a good idea, you want to do everything to bring that to life. So when I developed at one point, after years of uh, designing products, I'd started developing a design process that comes from my own experience and I called it deconstruction, reconstruction. And once I had that and I had the steps of it, I wanted to see if I could apply that to my life. And so that's the, uh, the process of designing your life or designing your work, which is what, what we do with organizations, is to apply this design thinking tool or thinking like a designer to your life and work. And and then through that, get clarity and, to your point, become much more intentional about how you want to live this life. So it's, you're helping both with experiencing, I mean, how to design the experience in terms of for the life, for the work, and for the experience in itself, and, and also for products, right? So it's the whole, like, uh, the whole... The whole uh, thing, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, and it's kind of like talking vessels because it informs people. I mean, I've learned so much about people and their lives through helping them design their life. And that helped me really have a lot more empathy for individuals um, when we're designing products. It also showed us that almost anyone can use design tools. People are actually extraordinarily creative, but most of our um, educational system teaches us not to be creative. So what I realize is that that kind of innate um, capability to be creative is in all of us. But like anyone, we need a process for it. So I try to provide the steps, clear steps and sim a simple process and then watch that unfold. And the life is something that we all share. So it gives me an opportunity to teach anyone, someone as young as like 13 or as old as 90 and everybody in between, how they can think about their life creatively and differently. But then once you do that, you can also co-design with users. So it's, it comes really handy for our product design business because now almost every project that we do, we include a module where we're designing, co-designing 
with end users about their laundry experience, about their you know, sense of adventure and uh, mobility. And most recently, we did a year-long study on aging, and we co-designed with people who are over 65. So that, that's really created a different, um, very dynamic window in our work. Very interesting. But how, if, if I would be interested to join uh, one of those courses, for example, or anybody who's listening here now, is there anything also online that you're offering or is it more like a workshop, masterclasses and on the spot? They can go to my um, website, com, and there's an on- online course that um, they can acquire. And then to your point, we're doing a lot of um, workshops and sessions both for individuals, but also for organizations. And for organizations, it could be around designing the team you love or designing the corporation you love, or it could be something that's user-centered, so related to the user experiences that they want to create. Um, And we're more and more doing them online. And so what's been incredible with um, this push for online is it created kind of like a equal ground. Like one of our participants was saying, now everybody is like you and I right now, Vesna, we're, we're equidistant. We're just a Zoom call or a WhatsApp call uh, distant from each other. And that, um, that has created a whole new dynamic that's really interesting. Is there anything that is more difficult when you do it online, you think? I mean, if you know the group of people, you've met them already, maybe it's not a big you know, deal if it becomes it goes virtual, so to say, uh, such a workshop or, or so. But if you don't know these people at all, I've never met them, how do you feel about that? One thing that you could do is come to our, we're now doing virtual Design the Life You Love tea every Wednesday at 5 p.m. New York time. A little bit late for your um, audiences in Europe, but... What we've learned through that experience is that these are people who don't know each other, who come together for an hour to spend um, you know, some time thinking creatively and playfully like a designer about their life. And all of the uh, tools that we have and the interactive exercises that we have are designed to create a sense of playfulness and uh, security so that you're playing with ideas without feeling like, uh, without really worrying about it. And so our experience has been actually online. We were just talking about this, that it has been great in creating a community of diverse people who can um, choose to come together at that moment and help each other. A lot of the interactive exercises we do allows people to share something about themselves and then have other people respond to in a very design manner, which is quite optimistic and positive and with a lot of empathy. And so in that way, it's been great. And we found, I mean, unexpectedly, who knew? Um, the chat box is a great collaboration tool. So people write, um, Like one of the things that we do is about how can we turn constraints into opportunities? Because currently we're all feeling the constraints of COVID-19, whether it's because we're sheltering at home or financially, um, because 
with the unemployment that's going on or because we're far away from our loved ones. So we've asked people to write their constraints into the chat box and then have other people respond to it and give them ideas for how could they turn those constraints into opportunities. And these things that we're testing in real time are proving to be environments for incredible um, conversation and collaboration. So I guess a long way of saying my experience so far has been more positive than negative. Uh, and um, uh, when you work with with, uh, with companies, for example, and you're helping them to redefine or redesign the whole company as such, what in those situations is typically like surprising you? And what is also what do you find that that is specifically challenging for them through this process that you do? I think when we work with organizations, one of the most beneficial things is the the qualities of thinking like a designer creates a safe space for people to um, collaborate without feeling threatened. Um, so what, what are those things? I mentioned already um, optimism. So we give people in the beginning a space to air their kind of grievances. Um, we call it taking the hot potato out of your pocket. So time for everyone to talk about the constraints or the inequalities or things that don't go well. And one of the things that that helps do is create a sense of you're not alone. A lot of people don't realize that some of the things that they're suffering from, other people have the same problem. So establishing that, oh, there is a community and it's not like, I'm not the only one in this community that's feeling X, Y, Z. But then the trick is to how can you take those problem sets, which design is really interested in, you, you need the constraints um, to be able to design something. So once you get the constraints out, how could you turn those into opportunities for solving something differently? And that's the kind of every time there's almost like this transformation that happens that goes from here are problems and, you know, here are constraints, here are challenges. And if you let that, those things kind of feed each other. Um, but the intention of the design process is to actually use those for solving problems. And so everything, all of the tools that we use afterwards is about helping people connect with their values and then look at those problems from the perspective of their values. We get people to use metaphors so they can think about complex and new things in relation to things they know. And those things, talking about a problem through the filter of metaphor is very unthreatening. It's actually quite um, collaborative and constructive um, because you're not talking about you, you're talking about a metaphor for something. And so these design tools get people to see the situation holistically and then start to connect the dots in different ways. And through that, also build empathy for each other as they hear that they're not alone. They're also realizing other people have needs and we ask them to collaborate and offer thoughts on somebody else's um, problems and needs. All of that requires having an open mind. And the open mind is with the idea that 
sometimes, often actually, the best ideas come from the worst places. And that allows people to rethink about their organization or their team and their future in new and unexpected ways. And it's really construct it. The whole point of design, like you said, is intention and it's helping people understand those intentions and to share those intentions. So um, long answer, but that's not, if I may, you asked me what surprised me. What often surprises me is that even though people are working together and you could use the metaphor of like, they're like a jazz orchestra or a symphony orchestra, you would think that they, they would know how to bring their instruments and their talents together. And it's always quite surprising to me that that's often not the case. And that that's something that we are surprised by and work hardest to resolve. How can we get people on the same page, uh, looking in the same direction, belonging to a mission, but at the same time with enough autonomy that they can play their own instrument, you know? And I'll, I'll give you an example. Like we went into one of the um, top brands for um, athletic equipment and fashion. And we did a metaphor exercise with them and asked how they would describe their organization and their team through a metaphor. And half of the group said, we're climbing the Everest. The other half of the group said, we're on a walkathon. And we were like, hold on one second. Like, those are like complete opposites of each other, right? And what's required of a team that's climbing the Everest is so different from a team that's walking at leisure at a walkathon. So, and once we get them to realize that, then try to okay. So, what would be a shared mental model? What, what's a shared metaphor for who you are? And from that, how could we develop a common understanding of? who you are, what you stand for, what your values are, um, so that you can do this work together. Aisha, in terms of transformational points uh, in your life, um, which one have influenced you the most? You know, it's so, so interesting. I was thinking a little bit about that. And often it's the, the problems that I run into that uh, influence my life the most. So the turning points. And I can... Uh, remember one when I was younger and I started my uh, studio and uh, thinking that I was going to be this young, successful designer and then couldn't find any um, clients and projects and thought about uh, becoming a lawyer like everybody else in my family. And I was saved uh, from that because of a friend of mine who sent in some of my projects to Japan, to Toto, and actually uh, kind of helped me uh, overcome my problem by moving to Tokyo and designing toilets for um, Toto. The second time that happened, and the second time I thought about like, oh, I should have become a lawyer. That seems to be like a late motif when I'm, I'm stuck, was when the, the economy... Uh, in 2008, basically crashed, and all our clients took their work in-house, which you know made a lot of economic sense for them, but meant that 
we didn't have any work. And at the time I was a new mom, newly married to BB, my partner, and um, really f- was frustrated and felt so responsible. And out of that came deconstruction, reconstruction. I basically spent the time, you know, I had plenty of time in my hands and I spent that time figuring out how I think. And then having a design process and applying it to our work and applying it to life and teaching that to others changed what I do in a very positive way and created this whole other kind of window in my life that I had no idea, you know, I couldn't have created it even if I wanted to. And it happened because um, the economy crashed. And I feel like I'm in that moment again with COVID-19 and and we're all in that moment where whether we like it or not, our life is not going to be the same again. And a lot of that is really incredible hardship, but it's also an opportunity for us as individuals, for organizations and for uh, governments to reinvent ourselves. I'm really, really hopeful or trying to be an optimist about the good that can come out of this incredible hardship. Yeah, exactly. And and just uh, not to be like blocked by, you know, fear and anxiety. I think that's the biggest kind of um, challenge for most people right now. It's kind of beautiful in the same way that there is nothing to hide behind now. So like we all need to push past any kind of fear and anxiety and so on and, and really dirt think about what do, what do we want to create uh, further. So um, it's really a, both a, a difficult, but also a, a defining, a very interesting moment. Uh, and I hope for that all companies will, uh, and people on board there, will uh, rethink their way of delivering value and what they're doing and eventually see this also, if needed, as an excuse to uh, remodel their business, their business model, actually change their business models uh, for the better. There's, there's so, so much to do. And I think that uh, this has given us the, the opportunity actually to do it better. I hope so. I mean, one way that helped me think about it is to think about um, the current situation we're in as if we're inside a cocoon. And so we're in the process of metamorphosis. And when we come out of this cocoon, we'll be a butterfly. But when you're inside the cocoon, which works for sheltering in place, right? It's like we're protecting ourselves and and we're experiencing this change. And we're never going to go back to that caterpillar that we were. And inside the cocoon, everything is turning to mush. Everything is breaking down to reconstruct or rebuild to become something else, which is the butterfly. So one thing that I'm asking myself and I'm asking others is to think about, so when you become that butterfly, what are your wings? You know, how are you going to fly? What's going to help you fly? And then what's your butterfly effect? So if you flap your wings here, what's the effect that you want to have somewhere else, uh, maybe at a larger scale? And these are important questions because I realized that in this process that we're in, my wings that I'm building, I'm in the process of building them, are my collaborations. 
with people that are my friends or like you, somebody that I'm meeting for the first time, but with so much more um, enthusiasm, let me say, and kind of this excitement around collaborating and creating bridges with new people and that allow me to do things that I wasn't able to do before. I'm finding people are much more collaborative and open to trying things, much more accepting of trying something for the first time, knowing that you know we're all trying things for the first time right now. Um, so there's a, a sense of you know forgiveness. We're we're not trying to be perfect. We're trying to um, learn. We're all like uh, beginners in that sense. So all of that is like to me the collaboration is going to be the thing that will help me fly. And other people are thinking about it in different ways, you know. But that also helps me make sense of it, you know. I'm in a cocoon, and it's going to take the time it's going to take. I can't come out before it's safe. And, you know, just like a butterfly is not going to break its cocoon until it's it's safe. But inside the cocoon, you're preparing for the what's to come next. Yeah, and I really hope for a lot of more uh, organizations like built that are based on on you could say on on humanity. And it might sound a little bit philosophical, but I, what I intend is is really that the companies that should survive this and thrive afterwards are those that are truly serving us in the best way. Yes, our essentials. Yeah, <laughs> and also, uh, but with that, I think um, I don't know if you meant it that way, but. I think a company serves two users. One is their um, customers, but also their own community and organization. And like you, I'm very hopeful. And I'm hoping that because of what we're living now, how we work will also change, that we'll be much more accepting of each other and that we won't only have this work facade, that we will have this human facade of, People have seen each other's homes. People have met each other's kids for the first time. People have admitted to the fact that, you know, they need to stop a meeting now because their baby is crying. These things, I think, are making us, uh, helping us show up as our true selves. And our true selves are not just work. It's like we're a combination of things. My hope is that going forward, that that will be the way we are, that we'll be interested in in each other's multiple facades, in our problems, as well as in our successes, and much more open to helping and being helped. I also think that I love the fact that most of us now realize, hold on, it's also important that I take care of myself. Um, So in the middle of the day, there's a yoga studio that I'm going to connect to. Or, you know, I didn't sleep a lot last night. I'm going to take a nap. So these really human pieces of us that are about our well-being intermeshed with our work and our performance, I'm hoping that there will be much more organic and humanistic work models coming out of this where we, we still do beautiful and great work, but without becoming like robots that are like hey i'm on nine to five you know no you're not you know yeah 
And, and if you would assume that um, if we dream, dream a little bit and say that you have all doors open to you and all kinds of resources available to you, what would you innovate or change then? And, you know, be it in your world or somewhere else. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to innovate anything like that. I need some constraints. So if you were to all, all, all doors, all possibilities, I'd be so lost. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, design thrives on constraints. So that, that would be my answer is that what, what are the constraints, you know, whether it's financial or life related, because what, what's, in, what's interesting is often the things that we want and need that are opposing that make um, solutions really interesting and long term and of value. That's why we so love this saying, less is more, because when you make more with less, you're really creating um, new value. You know, I often talk about um, vacation and work as being two opposites. When you're working, you're not on vacation. And when you're on vacation, you're not working. But if you can work on vacation or feel like you're on vacation while you're working, it's, you're creating a new dichotomy resolution or new value. Uh, so for those things to happen, we need to have some challenges that are pulling us in these two directions. Like you were saying in the beginning, the East and the West, you know, it's together that it becomes so interesting. Interesting. If you would give uh, one piece of advice to leaders, however you define those, uh, what would it be? It's something that I practice that I've also seen great leaders practice, and that's it's all about love. And Alan Mulally, the former CEO of Ford Company, puts it so well. And because he says it, I feel like um, he's done such incredible work in his uh, tenure at Ford Company and also at Boeing that I think other leaders can hear it from him. And he, he basically says, love and be loved and in that order. And so if lead leaders could really see everything from the perspective of loving their people and loving their customers, loving their work, it would create an incredible sense of empathy. And it's very different from loving profits. It's very different from loving success for the sake of success. It's really loving people. I think is is what I would say. Beautiful uh, advice, and and also I think exactly this by doing that, which is also what our friend Gary Ridge is is applying in in, in reality at his company there. That is exactly the reason why you then eventually have very strong results, profits, and all of that that you're actually looking for. So it's an entryway. It's exactly the the formula to get there. Absolutely. And then you look at, well, how do you express your love, right? Then you, you think about, well, you express your love by asking people, like ge being genuinely interested in how they're doing, by showing gratitude for them, by thanking them, by you know giving them opportunities so that they can love what they're doing and uh, seeing them as human beings, you know, accepting them also when they fail 
and give, giving them a chance again. I think it's loving and thinking about like, then how do you express that love? And when you look at great leaders, like Gary Ridge is a great example as well. I mean, he, he is one of the most beloved um, CEOs in the world. It's that attitude that that makes him who he is. And he, he would talk about it, and he probably did on your podcast, creating a tribe. Um, you create a tribe through love. Hmm. And what about you? If you were to give uh, advice to yourself, let's say 10, 15 years ago, what would it be? The advice that I would give myself is the advice that I'm giving myself now, which is emerging again in this moment of crises, is make the choice of seeing a challenge as a positive thing. So being very positive intentionally. And I find that uh, my friend Molly Chang talks about it in terms of choosing to be happy. But I, I really find that if I can have a mental shift in seeing a challenge as like a positive thing and rising to that challenge with excitement, it changes everything about how I respond. And I'm full of energy and optimism and kind of the, the willingness to take on the challenge rather than kind of mopping and thinking, okay, oh, yeah, I have to do this. So, yeah, so that, that intentional um, positivity and, again, thinking about, like, what's that, what's that for me? How, how do I think about the challenge as a positive? Yeah, that's really, uh, that's what I call to be aware. If you're aware of yourself thinking, you know, in a certain way, then you can guide yourself. You can, uh, it's like a, a muscle that needs to be trained. So the more you use it, the more you will you will end up in that positive route. Yeah, I love that you're saying that because sometimes I catch myself being negative. And I, I'm quite a positive person, like, uh, but sometimes I'll be faced with something and my first reaction is to kind of shrink and kind of go like, oh, I wish it wasn't so, like, in taking like a defensive position. And sometimes I catch myself and think, okay, well, next time, don't do that. Next time, catch, like you said, be aware of that, Aisha. Be self-aware and then take a pause and then say, okay, well, now, how can I think about this differently? And I find that my, my friends who are my collaborators are incredibly um, helpful in helping me create that mind shift. I find that talking to people and asking for help really helps me. Mm. Are you are you good at that? Help? I mean, asking for for support of any kind. I'm very good at that. Uh, good. <laughs> I'm very good at that, and I find that I've gotten better because I'm part of uh, Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches, and Marshall Goldsmith is known as the world's number one leadership coach, and um, he actually has an exercise that teaches you feed forward and Marshall says nobody likes uh, feedback but everybody can use feed forward and feed forward is really um, asking for help and offering help and once you start doing that you realize hold on one second we all need help so like we could all play both roles right and it kind of like you and I started our conversation talking about Adam Grant and his book about give and take right there's always room to give and take. And I find that if I ask people to help me, 
it gives them permission to turn around and say, well, Aisha, you help me. And so then it becomes this um, very dynamic collaboration. And we love collaboration, you know, so... <laughs> yeah, and it's beautiful also if you if you feel like your your clients, the companies you work with and for, or people you work with and for, that they feel like collaborators and not just like clients or customers. I mean, you have your team in the studio and so on, but but also outside. I think it's beautiful if, if when I discover that that clients or customers are really your your collaborators, you're part of like their value value chain, but uh, so you're part of their extended family. That's a totally different feeling. Exactly. You said family and I would I was going to say my favorite clients are my friends and I'm their friends and uh, and my whole goal is actually to work with my friends and become friends with people I work with. What do you think is the most important thing for companies to focus on right now? To be realistic and at the same time imaginative to be realistic, to recognize that the challenge that we're in is one that we have not faced before uh, in terms of its scale and reach, which leads a lot of people in a very negative um, thinking path of scaling up the problems in terms of negativity. And my recommendation or what I would love to see is actually take these challenges and use them for good to make us and our organization and our countries and the world in general a better place. Um, so to, again, coming back to what I said before, constraints are necessary for great opportunities. If this is the biggest constraint that we've ever had, this should be our biggest opportunity as well. So that, that would be what I hope we can do as um, corporations but inside the corporations are us individually. So for us to be able to do that individually and then outside of the organizations are the um, communities and countries that we belong to. So, And we're realizing how connected we are. And so it's really important that we use that for good to become better than what we were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a perfect uh, reflection really and, and advice. And I was thinking, you know, we, many, many years ago, this kind of word stakeholders, uh, you know, entered our terminology in business. And, and, and now if we use that, we could say, I mean, put the future generation in there as stakeholder, put society in there as a stakeholder, right? Uh, all of these kind of perspectives that are like feeding into the humanity, I think is really, really important. And, and I see around me uh, people who are contacting me and so on. They talk very bad about everything that is humanity related more than ever before. So this is uh, what the situ this situation is bringing also forward, uh, which is great. There is time for this reflection uh, and so on. And I, I don't think it's just uh, temporary. I think it's going to stay with us. Uh, that, that's my hope as well. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Aisha, my final question to you is, is this one. What do you think the world needs most at this time? I, I think... My answer would be the same, to um, take the biggest constraint and turn it into the biggest opportunity. I mean, one thing that we've learned through this hard lesson is that we're all connected. There's one earth and we're all connected. And I, I hope that this will bring us more peace and more than anything else.
Thank you so much. And thanks for sharing. Um, and to, for people to find out more, they should head to, um, I guess, your website, aishabirsil.com and birsilplussec.com. Exactly. They can reach me at um, aisha at birsilplussec.com. So they, they'll find links and show notes on, on corporateunplugged.com. So they'll find everything there. Great. Super. I'm just curious, how was it to be on the podcast? It was actually a pleasure. So I think we demonstrated that um, we can be equidistant from each other, only a, a call away, uh, build trust and affection from the get-go. And a mutual friend is like Gary Ridge, that we both trust and love is a huge bridge, a huge connector. Thanks. Thanks so much. So uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing Aisha. And uh, please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thanks so, so much for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao, Aisha. Ciao, Vesna. Thank you so much. This was lovely.